Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. We continue today through Paul's letter to Titus. In his recognition of the moral depravity and doctrinal dangers facing the church, Paul highlights the character qualities required in determining church leadership. We'll examine Titus chapter 1 today and see how each of us can give attention to our own Christian character by examining some spiritual diagnostics. Thanks for listening. On my wife's car, she has uh, one of these uh, fancy dashboards that tells you when something's wrong. I don't know if you guys have one of the older models that just puts a little light up or if you got a smart one that actually tells you what to do. But uh, recently, hers has been uh, going bing every time I turn it on and a little line uh, shoots across the front says, uh, oil change. Thank you, Dodge Caravan. Appreciate that. Um, a little while back, it was only a, a month ago, it was doing the same thing. Ding, it would say. Uh, check engine light came on. Warning, something's wrong, right? Anybody else uh, dread seeing that? Anybody kind of, that ruins your afternoon when the, when the light comes on on the vehicle? It's a helpful thing, though. It's a diagnostic tool. It, it, it's part of uh, preventative maintenance and uh, reparative maintenance on a vehicle uh, that is built into the computer to let you know when something's wrong. Thankfully for us uh, humans who aren't always paying attention, these cars got smart and they tell us what they need and they show us where they need repair and they show us where they need improvement. Wouldn't it be great if the church had a way of recognizing, hey, here's where we need to improve. Wouldn't it be great if there was a little check engine light that could come on, if there was a, a little ding, a little blinker, maybe even spell it out, hey, here's what you need to watch out for. Here's where you need a spiritual tune-up. Here's where you need to pay attention to the dashboard of God's Word. All of us want our cars running in tip-top shape, right? Well, I would submit that all of us ideally also desire our spiritual lives to be running and hitting on all cylinders. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we, we want to be functioning the way God designed us to. When Paul writes to Titus... He includes at the very front of his letter, right after the introduction, instructions on how to appoint leadership in the church. Leaders who are able to give attention to those areas of their life. A diagnostic set of requirements, a chart, a way to evaluate if you're hitting on all cylinders, if you're where you need to be. This is what I'd like us to look at this morning. I've titled this message, Integrity in Leadership integrity and leadership and if ever there was a time more in the history of the world we live in we need leaders who have integrity that's worth an amen right we need leaders that have integrity not only in the world in which we live but far more within the church we too even if we aren't elders even if we aren't those standing up front we too need to have a way to check over our lives and and find out is is there anything that would if there was a dashboard on our spiritual lives is there any lights that are on right now is there any places where we need to focus on 
We're going to be in the book of Titus chapter 1. I invite you to turn there with me now. And we're going to read through the rest of chapter 1. Simply looking at a few observations. And then very quickly I have five points of conclusion. So we uh, finish this up and can identify where we can apply God's word into our life. Titus chapter 1. Helen, where? Page 1857 in our pew Bibles. As Paul finishes his introduction, as we looked at last week, recognizing uh, that knowledge of the truth is what leads to... Do you remember? What is it? Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. That's, it's, if, you, if you missed it, I think it's right in verse 1. Right? Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. That even as in, in his introduction, Paul is identifying this to be the goal of Christians. And you are never going to get there if your leaders aren't there. Right? If those who are challenging you according to God's word are not themselves men of integrity. If the, if, the, if the bar isn't set here, if it's way down here, then you'll never rise above those who are in leadership. And so Paul continues with this idea of pursuing godliness. I'm in verse 5 of chapter 1. Paul writes, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teachings, by teaching things that they ought not teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. They are, to, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Who thinks Paul would win an award of political correctness? Anybody? Man. I'm grateful for the candidness with which he writes to his student, Titus. Uh, part of a, a foreign understanding in the world we live in. Can't be offended. Be careful what you say. You know what the Bible says? You're to speak truth. That's what the Bible says. You're to speak truth. The next part of that sentence is just as important, though. 
You're to speak truth in love. So I hope that even as we read through this and find that it sounds a little, woo, sounds a little harsh at times, that we understand that these things are given not out of anger or to put someone down or to judge them, that the truth is exalted because we love people. It's the most unloving thing for us to do to let someone continue in sin, walking in a way against the commands of God. Imagine that your child was involved in something they shouldn't be involved in, uh, whether that's uh, getting older, alcohol in teenage years, or members of the opposite sex, or maybe uh, some substance. Would you stand by and just say, oh, that's, you know, I don't want to judge. What, what would you do? Hopefully you would tan their hide. Hopefully that's what you would do. Hopefully you would speak the truth. But the reason you're doing it is because you love them. I want us to see that that's the perspective for which Paul writes the way in which he does. Look at me in verse 5. He starts out by telling uh, Titus, the reason I left you there was why? Straighten it out. Straighten it out. Um, Anyone ever been to a, a church that had some crookedness to it? Go on. Everyone raise your hand because guess what? That's church, right? I mean, anywhere you go, you're going to find there's a little, bit of, no, a little bit of crookedness. Why? Because we're still sinners. That's the honest truth. I'll be the first one. I'll race you to the foot of the cross to ask for forgiveness. All right? I'll, be, I'll race you there because you know what? I need God's grace in my life. And so do you. Well, that being true, we stand upon his word. We need to speak truth in love. But we also need leaders who will help to take that which is crooked and do what? Straighten it up. That's why he left them there. I want, I want you to identify something that's repeated in verse 6 and in verse 7. Because he's talking here about a qualification for elders. Um, you, you're probably going to like the word here used in uh, Greek for elders. It's the word presbuteros. Where, where do you, what word do you think we get from presbuteros? Presbyterian, yeah. That the church governmental style to which we're part of is one that follows after the same teaching of elder rule. That we follow what the Bible says. That God has deemed it such that there should be elders appointed to be held accountable, to be held responsible for that which occurs in the church. Yet there is a qualification that overarches all of them. In fact, it was repeated in our reading this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's repeated here in verses 6 and 7. Did you find it? Did anyone identify it? What is it? An elder must be what? Blameless. blameless. What does blameless mean? Yeah, there, there was a <clears throat> time where I, I can remember being in grade school uh, that if the teacher was out of the room, I kind of uh, was tempted to be a little mischievous, right? I wasn't always the, uh, the good, goody goody in, in school. And somebody else was, though. There was always someone in school that was the goody goody. And when the teacher came back in, if I had been misbehaving, what would they do? They'd do this. Yeah. Teacher, teacher, Mr. Flunker was doing... Foolishness, right? See, this right here. Do you know what this is? This is, you're not blameless. That's what this is. That's the picture here of what we need to understand. Qualification for eldership means at no point in any aspect of your life should there be the ability for someone to do this. That, that we caught you on this. Or that you are out of line here. 
And there's a lot of qualifications given here. I mean, right at the very top, you'll recognize that being a godly husband and father are right at the top. I could take a whole other 40 minutes and preach on the nature of family and how that prioritizes what's done in ministry. I'll save that message for another day. I want you to see that's at the top of the list there. So husbands and dads, uh, recognize that. Number one ministry that you have is to your family. Um, but then it's repeated in verse 7 as well, right? You must be blameless. And then we got this long list. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered. Uh, how many of us disqualified already? <laughs> Hopefully we're, we're rise to, we have risen above some of these others. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, and not pursuing dishonest gain. That, that's the list of what you're not to do. But then look at the ones that you need to pursue. In verse 8, now you need to move towards these things. You need to be hospitable. That, that's as simple as saying that my priorities aren't number one, but I look to other people. I, I really am I'm always looking to see how can I help someone else? How can I make them feel more comfortable, feel more at home, meet their needs? Am I, am I only concerned facing myself, my own cares, or am I looking to others? Am I hospitable? Uh, do you love what is good? Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. It's quite a list. Uh, it, it's a good set of lights on the dashboard, is it not? It's, it's a good set of indicators, hopefully, to point out where you and I need to continue improvements. As children of God, we need to be not like the Cretans who said they knew God, but their actions don't show it. I want you to see a, a few more things. Uh, right at the very end of the lists, he concludes with what might be one of the most important ones. Verse 9. He must do what? Hold firmly to the trustworthy message. Uh, you, you can just write in the margin of your Bible the gospel. That's what that is. The trustworthy message is the truth of the gospel. You don't hold to two things. You don't pick it up and then put it down. You hold to that alone. That is the trustworthy worthy message. If you want to have integrity within leadership, you must recognize this is the calling. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Center. Primary. Numero uno. I'm thinking of Mara in Mexico there. Numero uno. Not only that, but uh, Paul writes in here, so that. Do you guys see that? It answers the question, why? Titus might be uh, tempted to ask, why, Paul? Why do they need to hold to the trustworthy message? Well, here's why. Two reasons. Number one, that they can encourage others by sound doctrine. Not self-help. Not what Oprah's teaching. Right? Not the best seller. But sound doctrine. You're going to see that repeated again as we continue. So that's the first part. Encouragement. Encouraged by sound doctrine. And the second half is to refute those who oppose it. Do you see the two sides of what an elder has to do? Two parts to it. It's not only be able to, to teach others, to encourage others by sound doctrine, but also to correct those who are getting it wrong. Now, what have we already said this morning? Speak the truth in what? Yeah, speak the truth in love. But it needs to happen. It is a requirement. Paul holds this as such an importance that he stops his list after this verse, and he starts talking about the culture. Look at this, verse 10. This is why, Titus, that you need to do this, because there are many rebellious people. So this is our background, right? Mere talkers and deceivers. That, that word haunts me a little bit because uh, what is the devil called? The father of 
lies, right? The father of lies. A trickster, always coming to accuse, and to deceive. Paul recognizes that that's what some of these people are. Some of them are just jibber-jabbers. Just, they, got, they can't shut their mouths, right? They're running their mouths all the time. Mere talkers. But others are more devious. They're leading the church astray. Um, in, in verse 11, uh, we really have how important it is. They must be silenced. Why? Because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not teach. And why do they do it? For the sake of what? Oh, the almighty dollar. I hope that you recognize you can draw a straight line from verse 11 all the way back to the one where Paul recognizes that you not elders are not to be pursuing dishonest gain in verse 7. Diametrically opposed to where you find your love. Look, if you're part of the world, you can love the things of this world. Money, glory, all of it right here. I'm not part of this world. And so what happens in ministry, especially for those who want to maintain integrity and leadership, is not done for financial gain. Make sure that you check your radar and that that's top of the list that you recognize where you might find one of these mere talkers or a deceiver. Ask the question, are they pursuing godliness or are they pursuing the dollar? All right, just a couple other things. <clears throat> he, gets, he gets pretty intense in verse 12. He quotes one of their own prophets and <laughs> I, think, I think he's just kind of playing it safe, right? Because I, I didn't say it. This is what your guy said, right? You guys are liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That's what your own poets say. That's what your own people say. And then right after it, he says, it's true. His testimony is true. Now, do we have any of those here this morning? Any liars? Anybody? Any lazy brutes? Let's be honest now, right? Any gluttons? Hey, I was at the bake sale last week. Any gluttons? All right. <laughs> I want you to recognize the end of verse 13 is as important as the rest, though, because he says you're therefore to rebuke them sharply. Why? Do you see the next so that? He's got to catch this. Why do you rebuke them? Why do you teach sound doctrine? So that they will be sound in faith. Understand this, church. Nothing that's done with leaders in integrity is done to push people towards a direction they shouldn't need to go. It's to draw them back to Christ. We rebuke people so that they're sound in faith. The reason I'm going to speak up when my child, or maybe you speak up when your child is going astray in the wrong direction, is so that they will come back onto the right tracks. Amen? So that they'll come back where they belong. That's why leaders are required to not only know how to encourage, but also know how to refute bad doctrine. Because you follow bad doctrine to its conclusion, and you end up separated from God. You end up with a different gospel. You end up in an eternity separated from God. It's called hell. That's the conclusion that bad doctrine will lead you to. So yes, Paul, thank you for not being politically correct. Thank you for putting out here that we must rebuke them. Uh, anyone in here ever need rebuke? The Bible says that all scriptures God breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting 
and training in righteousness. So we usually like the, the first and the last, the teaching and the training in righteousness. Who's getting on the train for the correction and the rebuke? Anybody? Yeah. We, we tend not to want those, but folks, that's what God's word is here. Speak the truth, church. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. All right, finally, verse 16. I want you to recognize part of the problem here. They claim to know God. Oh, I know God. Yeah, I've been going to church. I was watching uh, Ken Davis. He's a Christian comedian. He was saying, <laughs> uh, he, he says that we need to send missionaries to your face. <laughs> because uh, some Christians look like this all the time. I, I've been serving God for 50 years. I loved every minute of it. I'm not so sure about that, right? Love of God's not showing up. We need to send missionaries to your face. Verse 16 might be those same type of people. They claim to know God. I've been going to church for... You, know, you claim to know God, but you know what? That's not the part that really matters. Look what he says. They are, uh, but by their actions, they deny Him. You claim to know God, but by your actions, you don't know Him. All i got to do is look at your life. Jesus says the same thing. He'll say you will recognize false people, false prophets, false teachers. You will recognize them by their fruit. What's the fruit? It's what they produce. It's the words that they speak. It's the works that they do. Church, we need to make sure that we are the kind of people when we claim to know God, we live in such a way that it reflects that. The confession is not the thing that matters. Your character reveals it. Even James writes this in the New Testament. He'll say, you say that you have faith? Show me your works. Because works or faith without works, you know what it is? It's dead. The confusion that some of these Christ, uh, groups that want to be called Christian, the part they get mixed up is they think that works lead to salvation, and it doesn't. Hear me loud and clear when I say that. You do not do a thing to earn God's love. He gives it to you freely, but once you receive it, what do you want to do? You want to love them back. You want to serve them. I mean, do you remember when you were first falling in love with your spouse? Can you, can you remember that far back, right? And all the little notes you used to write. Roses are red and violets are blue. Right? And I wrote you this song on the guitar, right? And I mean, you, 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 you did what? Your actions show that you love God. Now, what if we became the kind of people just feel like, all God needs is for me to go to church. I've got to serve him down in the nursery, right? Because I love him. <laughs> Look, you claim to know God. Make sure that your actions follow in continuity to that. And when people look at your life, they can identify without you even opening your mouth. That's somebody that loves God. Because your actions reveal that. You've received faith. You've received salvation. You've received his love. And because of that, we want to serve. The Bible says that it's not that you first loved God. It's that he first loved you and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins, for my sins. And because of that, we serve him. All right, five things I want us to look at here just as we conclude. Number one is this. I'm calling it the demand. All right, so these five, maybe call them diagnostic uh, dashboard lights to pay attention to, right? Paul first lists out the demand for elders, incorruptibility, right? You're incorruptible, not by strength of your own flesh, but because you daily rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every leader in church 
still struggles with sin. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as the pastor, right? I might get letters from all the other pastors. But it's true. Until we pass through this world, the Bible says he who has died is done with sin. Well, folks, I'm still living. Are you? Yeah. So guess what? Sin is a reality. So what do we do with sin? We do what the Apostle John said. If we confess our sins, he's what? He is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So what you need to do to pursue incorruptibility, this demand of blamelessness, is before the finger gets pointed, you get to the foot of the cross. You confess. And maybe that means you need to do that to somebody that you've sinned against. I might need to say that again because I think we need to hear that again. Maybe that means you need to go confess to somebody that you have sinned against. I know it's easy for me when I was younger to want to build up myself by talking other people down behind their back. Did you know I was going to confession this morning, church, right? Do you know what I'm talking about, that that's easy to do? You know, to kind of buddy-buddy up with somebody by talking someone else down. But if they were around, I would never be saying what I'm saying. I recognize that. That was not coming from the spirit. That was coming from the flesh. And so I had to resolve in my life that I'm not going to open my mouth unless I have something good to say. I'm not. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say. Don't say anything at all, right? And so if we're ever, you know, talking about somebody and you find me not saying anything, you might think, oh, it's probably... No, I'm just joking. Look, elders must, be, elders must be blameless. You must be blameless. Elders of this church, you're still going to struggle with sin. Make sure that you find a worn out spot at the foot of the cross where you routinely confess your sins. If you need to confess to somebody else, do not delay. Get that taken care of right away. The second thing I want to show you is the demand. Or I'm sorry, not the demand, but the discipline. The elder must be able to play both offense and defense to the truth. Verse 9 says what, right? So you can encourage and refute. You have to be able to do both. We read this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3, two offices within the church, elder and deacon. That's it. We got some elders here this morning? We have some deacons here as well? Yeah. Those are the offices for the church. But there's... There's a difference between them. There's only one primary difference between them. Elders must be able to teach. You must be able to have received the word such that you can encourage others and refute those who oppose it. Is that easy? What's the word I have up here underlined? What is it? It's a discipline. It takes effort. It takes work. The Word of God has been passed down from centuries, but it's still hard to understand for the most part. Many times because our minds just aren't clued into it right. But I promise you this, the more you work at it, the better you get at it. Elders, you've got to be disciplined. Not only to teach God's Word, but you've got to be disciplined in the rest of your life as well. The list that's given here is quite long, and Paul or James, the Apostle James, will say, not many of you should presume to be teachers because teachers will be held at a stricter judgment. So don't think that I'm telling you this morning that it's easy. I got it underlined. It takes discipline. But that does not mean it's not in the Word of God this morning, and it's something that we need to look at the dashboard of our life with. All right, number three is this, the danger. He says in verse 11 that these deceivers... These talkers, they must be silenced. And there is a danger. This is where integrity comes in. 
This is where I needed to learn to shut my mouth if I didn't have anything good to say. Because guess what I was being? I was just a talker. It's a danger in our world. It's a danger as real as driving down the, the highway and, and running into something that would stop you from getting to your destination. A good friend of mine in high school was driving at night, hit a deer. I said, what happened? He said, all of the lights on my dashboard lit up. Ooh, they all lit up. Same thing will happen to us if we fall into this same way of thinking. If we don't follow sound doctrine, if we end up taking it a direction that we shouldn't go, just like a vehicle that slams into a deer, that slams into a tree, all the lights are going to light up on your dashboard. And you're going to have to go take it into the mechanic. We need to make sure that we're aware of this. Paul says they must be silenced. There's a demand, there's a discipline, there's also a danger. Uh, this next one I think is probably one of the worst at all. I'm calling it the demoralization. Demoralization here is the idea that you have been drawn so far away that there's nothing left that's good. It's over. It's done. That's verse 15. Did you see this? In fact, their minds and their consciences are corrupted. If you permit me just one second, because as I was preparing this message and listening to the Holy Spirit, I couldn't ignore the world in which we live. And I'm not interested in church of taking any type of political stance. So without taking a position, just think about the world in which we live in. Just think about how the world today can't understand the difference between male and female. Just think that today the world we live in can't agree what restroom to use. The world that we live in today doesn't understand that we shouldn't be killing our babies. That's the world that we live in. Where we can't figure this out. Something as simple as marriage, the world can't agree on. Did you see verse 15? But those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences. Their minds and their consciences. Your conscience is that which God gives you, the mechanism to get your mind back on track. I'd be guilty as the next that sometimes the train wants to go off the wrong track. But your conscience and the Holy Spirit, for those of us who believe, they bring us back, but not so with these people. Not so with our world. They've lost the mechanism that would drive them back on the right train, train tracks to, to be on. Their minds are corrupted. One commentator put it this way. There is a moral perversion that has taken place in their whole being. They attribute um, their minds and their rational nature, enabling them to think and reflect on things moral and spiritual, have become polluted, and their conscience has lost its ability to make correct and moral judgments, leaving them unable to make true distinctions between good and evil. Do you remember in the Bible, when sin enters the world, who were the two people that entered through? Adam and Eve. And what was the very first thing that they recognized was off? What was the first thing? They were naked. Almost the base level of recognition that there's been a defilement upon us. Last night, my, uh, my son came into my office. I just had the, the TV muted and it was on, a, on the Discovery Channel. There's a couple of car shows I kind of like there. I can't endorse them in church though, so with caution. <laughs> But a commercial came on for a, a series called Naked and Afraid. Now, I've been around long enough to just be desensitized to that enough that I can ignore it. 
But I caught out of the corner of my eye that my eight-year-old is recognizing this for the first time. We have our entertainment upon the very first recognition of our distance between God. What do you think? How do you think about the minds of the world? How do you think about the consciences of our world where we find that as our entertainment? What about you and I who have lived here so long that we've lost our sensitivity to it? How is your check engine light doing on that? The problem here, and it's a huge problem, is that there has been a demoralization. They don't follow. They don't fear. To steal the words from a newsboy song, when did it become breaking a rule to say your name out loud in school? When your name is the only one that can set us free. You, you can watch all kinds of videos that teachers will bring in, but you know what you can't do in school? You know what you can't do? can't mention Jesus Christ. Imagine if God was in charge. Imagine heaven was here. You think we'd be praying by educating our kids? Absolutely. You think we'd be worshiping God? Absolutely. But we live in a corrupt world where our minds want to be drawn into the conformity of this world. They want to be conformed. Lose your sensitivity. We get so used to it, it doesn't strike us as offensive anymore. And we're leading our kids down that same path faster and faster and faster and faster as the days go by. There's been a demoralization. Last thing I want you to see is this demonstration. There has to be a demonstration of faith. Genuine faith is not evidenced by your confession. I need to say that again because that's, we got to hear that, all right? Genuine faith is not evidenced by your confession. Oh, I believe in, I believe in God. You know who else believes in God? The Bible says the demons believe in God. And they shudder because they know who he is. So our confession needs to be there. Don't think that your confession is secondary, but it is not um, the only thing. Confession matters, but what matters more than that is a life of character. That's found in continuity to that confession. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. There has to be a demonstration. Five panels that I wanted to leave with you today. My concluding thought on this matter is this. The church must appoint qualified leadership with intentional prioritization to a soundness of doctrine and faith. Because our world is saturated with opponents to the truth. The church must appoint qualified leadership with an intentional prioritization. You guys know what that word means? To prioritize? It means we put it where? Right at the top. First, right? Intentional prioritization to a soundness of doctrine and faith. Why? Because the world that we live in saturated with opponents to the truth. As we conclude this morning, I have included in your bulletin handout a list of all, everything that we read in Titus. You have been given a scale there as well, and this is what I want to encourage you to do. I'd like you to take some time and prayerfully try to mark down where you would fall. Are you overbearing? If you're doing good at it, put the nine level, right? If you're doing good at it, move it up there. 
I am not quick-tempered. Well, maybe I'm a little quick-tempered. Anyone else with me there, right? So kind of in the middle, right? I've got to put that marker somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm not indulging in drunkenness. Thankfully, unlike many of the kids I went to school with, it was never a temptation for me. So straight up to a nine. Violent. I don't know, a little lower maybe. Dishonest in my finances. Do you love what God loves? Are you hospitable? Are you self-controlled? Where do you fall on this? Let me just make sure I'm clear. Nobody's a nine straight across the board, all right? Nobody's straight across. Somewhere you're going to fall in an area that needs some work. My challenge to you, church, is this. Go through the spiritual diagnostic tool to see if you can identify where you need improvement. What's the light that's showing up on your dashboard? And then in this week, I want you to ask God to help you with that. If you think I can help you with that, my phone number is there in the bulletin. You give me a call. But together, let us speak the truth in love. Let us stand upon God's truth before we recognize, oh, if this one's qualified because you got such and such a degree or because you're the son of so-and-so. No, the church needs to appoint qualified leaders. We need to prioritize a soundness of doctrine and faith because we live in an evil world. Will you pray with me this morning?